are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. This episode of Rootbound is supported by Root Nodules. Do you need a home for your nitrogen-fixing bacteria? Try Root Nodules. Your bacteria will love it. Everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm the host of the show, and my name is Steve. Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, and each week I invite a guest who joins me on the program to share with us all about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me, and through this process we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. It is the philosophy of this show that everybody has at least one plant that is meaningful to them because plants are so integral to our lives as humans on this planet. Now, I would like to share with you a concept that I just learned after I was doing some research following the conversation I had with our guest today. Did you know that apple blossoms are perfect flowers? And sunflowers, those are also just perfect flowers. On the other hand, squash blossoms, those are imperfect. And, and what about the flower on corn? That's also imperfect. Now, that's not a judgment call. I actually think all those flowers are really awesome, and they're perfect in my eyes. But there is actually a botanical definition of perfect and imperfect flowers. And so the definition of a perfect flower is a flower that has both stamens and pistil on the same flower. So if you think of something like a tulip, and you look at those those like uh, parts of the flower in the middle, um, some of those are the stamens and some of those are the pistils. And so that makes it a perfect flower, whereas imperfect flowers... Um, only have uh, either stamens on one flower and pistils on another flower, um, but they don't have them both on the same flower. So if you think about a squash blossom that I was talking about, um, you know, you'll know that you know there's male and female squash flowers, and that makes them, uh, by botanical definition, imperfect flowers. So I thought that was an interesting fact that I learned after I was doing a little bit of research today. Um, and with that, let's meet our guest. <laughs> You're perfect, your manner is so inviting. You're perfect, and do what you may. You're more than okay. You're perfect, I'd even put that in writing. You're perfect, I mean it in a great big way. Hi, Pam. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Root Band. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we, we are excited to have you here. Do you have any plants to share with us today or a plant to share with us today? I have lots of plants, but I'll share today the <laughs> yeah. Monstera adansoni or also known as Swiss cheese plant. Very cool. Okay, when you sent this to me, I guess I, sh- I, I, guess I knew in the back of my mind that there was more than one kind of Monstera, but... I never really. I'm not a houseplant guy, actually, as a oh. plant podcast. But I'm like an. I like gardening. I <laughs> the like outside, wild yeah. plants. So that's uh, what I realized. It, so, yeah. So anyway, I'm very excited to hear about this because I. I saw. Oh yeah, Monstera uh, Adansoni, but I. 
it's not Monstera Deliciosa, which is the one everybody knows, I guess. Uh, so, right. um, and sometimes that one's called Swiss cheese plant too, I guess, the other Monstera. But this one looks more Swiss cheesy. I Googled it quickly. Anyway, I'm talking too much. Tell me about this plant. <laughs> Why is it meaningful to you, um, the Monstera Aronsoni? So it was, it was really hard for me to pick a plant, to be honest. But that one, I ended up with that one because it's a warrior. I, I, I've always been attracted to to plants with fenestrations. So the regular or the most popular monstera, they do have the fenestrations, but they're so big, and if you take care of them, they just grow so much. And this one is smaller. However, it could get also big. Like there's been plants like that that can get up to three feet, in one leaf. Oh wow. So for for the audience, really quickly, could you describe what a fenestration what fenestration means? Because it's kind of a fancy word, but, but yes. uh, I'll let you uh, describe that. <laughs> so the fenestrations are the 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 holes basically that the plants create, and with the Swiss cheese or the Adansoni plant, basically they grow in really tropical areas where it rains, where there's a lot of air, and they're they're. Typically, you can find them in South America, mm-hmm. and they climb. So they're climbers now. Mm-hmm. Now that they've been domesticated, I guess you can hang them, and they they look really pretty, like hanging. And so the um, fenestrations for the Adansoni are really cool because they it's kind of like a survival mechanism that they created. Mm. So they create these big holes in the leaves because there's so much air and wind and water that just has to get through as they're climbing trees that it's the way for them to survive. Wow. I, it's cool, huh? I can't believe I've never thought of the reason why they do that before. <laughs> like, I, I even had an episode earlier with someone about Monstera Deliciosa, and we talked about it, but I never thought about it. But it's very logical now thinking about their habit that, yeah, you get like a, a Amazonian downpour coming on you, and right. you, you don't want all the water to just stay on you, right? You, like, knock you off the tree. Oh, very clever. Yeah, right? So that's one of the reasons why I love them, because they're warriors. The other one is because they're queer. They're queer plants, so they're bisexual. Oh. They're in the... Um, monstera family and they mm-hmm. do both so they have a female and male in the mm-hmm. same i'm not a but like i don't have the like i learned it and i was like oh this is really cool so i don't have mm-hmm. like the scientific language for it but basically sure. they have like a both genders so they male and female on the mm-hmm. same plant mm-hmm. yeah yeah interesting and th- now that's something i don't know a ton about as well so audience can google it but i i know that appears in a few different ways in plants and sometimes it's on the same flower sometimes it's separate flowers um but I'm not sure if you know specifically of this one, how it happens. I believe it's in the same flower and it's called inflorescence. But that's the other thing that I'm like, oh, this plant is so cool because it's a queer plant. And then when I finally got one, she she's a super warrior because mm. I can tell you the story if you want. But yeah, please. Yeah, let's yes, let's talk about it. So you, I was about to ask, it. you have you have one of these. Um, I have one. Plants. So I'm weird with my plants because I I do want the plants to call me in and so i don't just get any plant and i've been looking i had been looking for a swiss plant for a long time but it wasn't like the right one and so my mom knows i like plants there was a point in my life i had to close my office and so i had plants Mm. in my office i had plants at home and so when i closed my office i had to bring all my plants to my house and so it went from like you know i have some plants here and there to like oh i have to make room for all the other plants that came from the office and my mom was like well let me bring you another plant. So we went to the farmer's market and there was this guy who 
you know, at the end of the farmer's market when they're mm-hmm. like about to close, they're like, give mm-hmm. you everything cheap. Mm-hmm. And he had one and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my chance because this is the one, like she's the one that nobody wanted, mm-hmm. you know, like the mm-hmm. runt, I'll take her. <laughs> and she came home with me. She was like super, I mean, it wasn't super big, but she had, you know, a couple of leaves and she didn't like my house. Mm. And so everything died. And I'm like, this is one of the easiest plants in the world. Like, really? <laughs> How? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right. I was really sad. And there was one stem left. Mm-hmm. So after a minute. And so I plant, I repotted it, put it in a different pot. And I put it at the bottom of my plant shelf. Because I was like, you know, if she wants to grow, she will grow. And then mm-hmm. I kind of like neglected her for a minute. But I think from the top plants, she was receiving all the like drips of the water. Oh. Uh-huh. And so after like maybe a month or so, I realized that she started climbing in the shelf, oh. in the plant shelf. And she just kind of like came back to life. So this is why she's one of my favorites. That's so cool. I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's pretty cool with the Monsteras, uh, at least from the Deliciosas I've seen. Like a lot of them keep them in this way that is not climbing, but it is really cool to see them climb because that is like... What they, what they want like, to do. Want to do, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, that's super cool. How long have you had your uh, Monstera out in Sony? I would say a few years. Probably maybe a year and a half, maybe two. So not mm. that long. Do you name your plants? Yes, 100%. Okay. What, what is this <laughs> Swiss cheese plant's name, if you don't mind sharing? I don't mind sharing. She's Lisa. Lisa. Oh, that's a good... I have my own, I only have... Well... I have two succulents. Sometimes I don't count them as houseplants because they're a little bit of a different thing. But I have one, mm-hmm. like, legit houseplant, which is, um, it's a uh, Calathea. Technically, it's a Gupertia because they split those into two different genuses. But it, also known as a rattlesnake plant. And her name is Tabitha. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah. I love that. So I name my plants first, my family members. And then mm. once I run out of family members, then I just start finding names of people that I like or... Mm-hmm. Names that just come up, and so she she just became Lisa. Do you, do you want to share who who Lisa is, or is that too personal? <laughs> so Lisa is. I have a couple of Lisas in my life. I have a. I don't know. So I guess I'll share it a little <laughs> bit. So one of my clients, she's Lisa, and she's a okay. warrior. Uh-huh. And so because she's overcome so many things. And mm-hmm. so when this one, she actually didn't have a name for a minute mm-hmm. because, you know, she didn't want to survive because I was like, you gave yeah. up on me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you got to like, wait to learn the personality a little bit, right? Yeah. Totally. And so mm-hmm. because she, so to backtrack a little, this client of mine, which I guess I've revealed the <laughs> name, <laughs> she has taught me a lot about taking space mm. because... <laughs> I'm trying to think, (laughs) how do I reveal without revealing? So Mm -hmm. she's one of those women, she's like 20 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And she, when things haven't gone her way, she takes literally five minutes to like have a pity party. And then she's like, all right, let's take action. What are we gonna do? And so she's done so many things with the government. She's Mm -hmm. changed like, laws and things like that mm-hmm. again i'm trying i'm trying i'm being cryptic because sure that that's fine yeah that's fair <laughs> i understand yeah um uh, but she's really cool and so when this one started climbing when the plants started climbing i was like oh you don't give up 
you know, you give mm-hmm. yourself the time to kind of like mm-hmm. chill for a second, but then you just keep going. So that's where she. she okay, got the, her name. the last personal question is: Does the Lisa know about the plant, Lisa? She doesn't know. Okay, okay. Well, maybe she'll find out. That's <laughs> an honor. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, that, yeah. That's well. That's really nice. Um, that's a really nice uh, story. Okay. Well, what what else about this plant? Do you have any other fun facts and dazzling details about the uh, Monstera Adansoni? Um, she. I think she loves, she's very social mm-hmm. because I, what I realized is that when I had her, when I had just, when she had just arrived to the house, I kind of like, you know, put her aside without meeting all the other plants. And then when I was like, whatever, you want to die, I'll put you at the bottom of the plant. <laughs> she was like, oh, this is a place where I can talk to the other plants. So that's why I think mm-hmm. she started like climbing up so she can, and then right above her, I have... I have a really weird I still don't I think I don't know what it is to be honest mm. it was a gift <laughs> uh-huh. but she that one grows like two stems and then one dies and then another one grows so she's it's mm. always like two mm-hmm. all the time it's really interesting and so she's been climbing around her and then above that one I have a, a pothos I don't know which kind there's so many of them mm-hmm. yeah and she's also climbing around her and oh, so, cool! She's like a grandmother. Yeah, and it and it's really interesting too. The the reminds of that of like the habit in in the jungle because right, right. And it, there's like so many other plants. Right, you don't have a solo plant in the jungle. Right, right. you have <laughs> lots of plants in the jungles, and they and they have that really really interesting to see that that kind of uh, attitude in a way to like go up right and you know yeah that's really fascinating. Um, I I I'm. I've been to the jungle in South America a few times, but it was like kind of before I had a lot of plant knowledge. I've, mm. I've been to this podcast for like over two years now, and I've I feel like the most of the stuff I learned about plants has been doing this podcast. Makes but sense. I I wish that I had. I'm sure I have actually seen a monstera or I've been around one in the wild because I think I mean I think they're relatively common, and I've been in a lot of different places. But I'm bummed that I'd never like recognized it. No, because like you know like I never I never like took my mind out to say oh yes that's monstera in its native place um so next time i don't know when the next time i will be in the, in the jungle actually but if i do i i have so many more plants i want to look out for and a lot of them are these house plants because a lot of house plants are from the jungle mm-hmm. and we've talked about this on the show before because um they don't mind the low light because right. they're like covered in the jungle in so. the trees i saw yeah. monsteras in puerto rico and in mexico mm. oh cool so what what were they what did they look like in the wild like that wild so yeah. I don't know if you've seen the monsters that like grow into like as tall as a broom. Mm-hmm. Well, that's them in the wild. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember when I was in Puerto Rico, we were driving and literally it was like a whole on the side of the road. Instead of seeing like bushes that we normally see in the U.S., it was like monsters, like oh, deliciosas, wow. the whole and probably some of the Adansonis too. Mm-hmm. But it was like just like intertwined with each other and like just there existing and i was mm. like oh they're so cool that, that is really cool i it makes you i think you can imagine seeing in the wild why they got that monst monstrous right name because it's gonna be so big yes. um very interesting what about where did you see them in mexico in cancun ah cool and yeah. what, was it similar or it was similar we were this time i think this is where we went to we did a tour i went with my family and it's kind of funny because I went as a Mexican tourist, mm-hmm. 
my own country, <laughs> which we can. Um, that's fine. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I live in yeah. Washington, D.C. I go to the museum. You go tourists all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we went to do like a um, zipline tour. Mm. And so cool, it's it was super fun. So each one of the ziplines had... Like, basically, you would go up the first one, and then the next one, you would go up. It was higher and higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And so, eventually, we could see the whole, all the trees. But when we mm-hmm. started, we could see all of the plants climbing on the trees. It was really cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, I definitely got to pay more attention to that the next time I'm in a, in a place like that. Because I want to spot all these plants that I've heard about and that we we lose their context in house plants. And it's actually pretty hard to, like... Monstera is a little bit of exception because I think it's so famous, but a lot of houseplants, it's really kind of hard to find information of what they're like in the wild. Like my Calathea, right. I know it's from Brazil, but I wanted to find like pictures of it growing in the wild. And it's, it's I probably, if I knew how to Google in Portuguese or something like that better, I could do a better job of it. Mm. But it's hard to like track down because every, when you Google it, you just get all like the houseplant care stuff. Right. Yeah. I know. When I was looking yeah. at like random things for that in Sony, I... Everything was like, how to care for your Adansoni? And I'm like, I know she did, she likes to be neglected. <laughs> that's what I know. <laughs> that That's very, very interesting. Um, cool. Did we miss anything else about your Monstera or uh, about the, the plant in general? One thing that's really interesting is that they are prone to get a fungus that makes the, plant, the leaf look really pretty. And so people don't realize oh. that this is happening because they get discolored but it's like so the actual leaf is supposed to be this kind of like rich green and sometimes mm-hmm. when the plant has the fungus it gets kind of like marble like light mm-hmm. greens and it's really interesting and the leaves get raised a little bit and so a lot of people don't notice because they're like oh my plant is just so pretty and it has whatever it's called when they they get like the disco, you like know, like the variegation. The variegation, thank you. Yeah. And yeah. so sometimes people could confuse that. So that's something interesting oh, to look out so for. You, in so this you're saying that point. this variegate, this thing that looks like a variegation is actually a fungal thing? In in the Adansoni. In, yeah. In Monster. Because, because, uh, simil- like some variegations are caused by viruses, but right. non damaging viruses. But this is different. This is something that could actually cause problems for your plant. It could, and according to what I read, there was a big, kind of like a batch of Adansonis that went out into the world, and they were all infected. And so, so many mm. people were reporting, like, this thing. And so, you had to, like, clip the, the like the plants that were infected. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Interesting. Yeah, that, that wow. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that the people who are in charge of, like, plant disease were like, oh, no. Right. <laughs> we get tr- yeah and the challenge is that what the majority of these plants came out of like big box stores and so like Mm -hmm. it's not like nurseries were selling because probably they would know but it was like Mm -hmm. you know the stores that you go get your milk from they have random plants yeah i wonder i wonder what the like large-scale commercial growing of some of these husbands looks like like i know i think a lot of it happens in florida Mm. But I just, it'd be interesting to see how that whole market works because it, it must be fascinating and how it all like filters into different places. And yeah, especially because sure. I think they, they can, yeah, I, don't, I wonder, yeah, anyway, I could, I could wonder about that for a while. Do you, <laughs> one last question. Do you know, I know that Monstera Deliciosa, I learned this in the episode, it's called Monstera Deliciosa because it can fruit and the fruit is apparently Deliciosa. Delicious? <laughs> oh. It is apparently. Um, it it looks like a, kind of looks like a, 
corn cob if you look it up uh, uh-huh. the monster deliciosa but apparently it's super sweet and like tastes like fruity pebbles i guess um but do you know anything about the flower or the fruit of the adansoni i don't think it's edible um, what I know is that it could, it's both genders, so male, female. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that it was confused for, like, it had, the Adansoni had, has had, and maybe that's why it's not as popular as the Deliciosa, because it has so many different names. People confuse it all the time. Mm. So they call it Swiss cheese when there's, like, other, like, Swiss cheese plant could be, like, so many plants with holes. Mm-hmm, and people mm-hmm. just kind of, like, call it a Swiss cheese plant. And so, that's one funky thing that also has happened is that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think at some point it had two different scientific names and then finally they settled into the Adansoni and they were like, all right, let's go with it because it's the same plant because there's variations. So it's not like the this type of monster is not like the um, Deliciosa that's very particular, like the leaves are pretty, you know, identifiable. Mm-hmm. This one, sometimes they're long, sometimes they look like a heart, sometimes they're pointy. And so there's, because, you know, they're, their own they have their own mind <laughs> it's it's trickier so how, how many last question i'm asking too many questions about your plant how many uh, leaves does your plant have now now and it's just one string you know because it's just the one uh-huh. that survived mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so probably has Ooh, the thing is that she's wrapped up everywhere because i have one mm-hmm. of those like shelf things and so probably like 20 30 maybe 40 leaves oh wow and are they big leaves or are they like smaller? No, they're probably like three to five inches. Interesting. And they all have holes in them. Yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> I know. And so I've been debating. I don't know if I want to clip it, you know, and like start rooting to make it shorter. But I kind of like that she's like wilding out, you know, and like wrapping herself around all the other plants. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, very good. Thank you for sharing about uh, your. Uh, sh- thank you for sharing about Lisa with me. Uh, do you mind if I share a plant with you? Please. Okay, so this one you you probably I'm gonna guess you know some stuff about this plant. It's kind of a new plant to me. It's a plant that I encountered recently, um, and I didn't know anything about it. And there's kind of a funny story how I encountered it. So uh, my wife is Mexican. She was uh, uh, born and raised in Mexico City. That's where you're from too, right? Ooh, I'm Mexico from Mexico City. City yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and so every time I go to Mexico City with her, you know, I, I, I end up learning about City. new plants. And just, yeah. I saw yeah. some things and I'm like, How, why are you there? Mexico City so much. I understand now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, I married into it and um, just, we were just there um, over the holidays and um, we were at her grandma's house for, for her birthday party, her grandma's birthday party. And I love, I love, I love food. I love experiencing food in like a, like a cultural context that is like kind of a, it's a, uh, it's a privilege to be part of that, right? As mm-hmm. not in that culture to be in there and like, you know, pe- people pass me food and stuff. And at one point someone passed me this plate and you're like, do you want to try some of this? And I thought at first that it was, um, it was refried beans. Mm. It's like very dark. But then they're like, no, that's romeritos. Yes. You know romeritos? Yes, of course. And yeah. you had them so, and you um, liked them? I did. I didn't know all the things. <laughs> uh, I did. So, so the funny story with it is I like, I mean, I like that. I was like, oh, this is cool. It's so... For the audience, let me explain a little bit first. The romeritos, which I'll get more to exactly what they are in a minute, but it's essentially a kind of green, like vegetable, you know, leafy green, but it's traditionally cooked in mole, which if mm-hmm. audience doesn't know, mole is that really awesome Mexican sauce that has some chocolate in it, but tons of other stuff. It's an amazing sauce. I mean, there's a lot of moles, 
I'm right. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody you could do like a podcast about every kind of mole and probably go on forever. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, so I, I tried some and then, uh, my wife tried some and then she goes, is there shrimp in this? And I was like, what? No, no. And then I Googled and it was like, actually, yes, there is. Yes. Uh, there, they put, there's dried shrimp in it, which I didn't know. My wife is allergic to shrimp. <gasps> so luckily she only had a little bit. And she was, she just had a little scratchy throat or whatever. So we're safe there. That's good. Um, but it was a, a little bit of a dramatic moment when we realized, cause like nobody knew. And I think it was, I think sometimes it's served with like, you can see little sh- dried shrimps in it, but sometimes it just has like shrimp, sh- dried shrimp flakes in it. And it's yeah. harder to see. And that's what, it, that's how it was. So we couldn't really tell. So yeah, the traditional recipe is boiled and served with mole and dried shrimp. And then sometimes with nopales and potatoes as well as my mm-hmm. understanding. But Look I've only you. had it the once. I liked it. I really did like it. It was really. I'm gonna keep my eye out for it in some other places. Which that gets into. Let's talk about. That's that's why it's meaningful to me. I had this experience with it. A little bit of a drama, and <laughs> right. but also I got interested in the plant. Good so, for her to identifying um, it ahead of time. Like you know, she's really good at that stuff. <laughs> it tastes first. She's like, is this shrimp? And I was like, no, no. And then I first googled it. It, it actually one thing about the plant is that it grows in areas with salty soil and so it actually has a salty taste on its own uh, mm-hmm. when even if you i didn't i only had it with the mole so it's harder to tell but i guess it can taste a little like the ocean mm-hmm. even without the shrimp so mm-hmm. that's what i thought at first it was but then i read a little bit more down the wikipedia it's like oh actually it does so yeah but i'm glad that she she uh, she was able to identify it because i didn't really i didn't clock it at all but i'm kind of mm. don't have a as a refined palate as she does um but yeah, let's actually talk about what the plant is. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times we talk about we talk about foods and we sometimes like treat the food different from the plant. Um, so Romeritos is the name in Spanish, and you probably know this. That, so it's called Romeritos because Rom- Romero is rosemary. Mm-hmm. And Romeritos, when you look at the plant, it looks like rosemary. Like baby rosemary. Like baby rosemary. It's, now, when you touch it, from what I understand, it's much. It's not like as hearty as rosemary. It's like very soft and kind of squishy, yep. but from a distance. And so, yeah. So, so, so you know, when when Spanish speakers, you know, first uh, saw it when they showed up in Mexico, they're like, "Oh, little rosemary." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's a scientific name. Uh, it's so it's it's actually a really. There's actually a lot of this plant, and they're actually all over the world. And the genus is. Swaeda, which I think comes from, I think I remember reading it, comes from a reference to the name of the plant, I think in South Africa or something. Hmm. Um, but the version that is in um, in Mexico, I think there's a couple, I couldn't, I couldn't track down exactly what the most common one used for the dish Romeritos is. It could be Soeda Polvinata, it could be Soeda Nigra, it could be Soeda Mexicana, which makes sense, but then it's one of those things too. I, I try I, I try to start searching in Spanish. I'm not really great with Spanish, mm. so that's where I probably need to go down the rabbit hole a little bit more to find out more about it. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit. And I found, did find some cool facts from there, but so but it it is the, the genus is Suaweda. In English, it is the plant which there is Suaweda uh, in in Europe, in North America, all over the world. Different ones. It is uh, either called seepweed mm. or sea blight. Which both don't sound as appetizing as Romeritos. Yeah. Inter- <laughs> can you find them in the U.S.? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. You can't. I mean, they're going to be a different, a slightly different species. But apparently, from what I read, they're all edible in the same way. Uh-huh. Um, and there are some traditions of eating them. I think in parts of Europe. Um, I don't. I didn't read about any like anybody eating them. You know, besides just like you know forager folks and in 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 the U.S. like people who like to eat weird plants. Which I'm going to keep my eye out for them and see if I can find some because um, I would like to to try it myself. And it, like it's not something you can get imported from from Mexico. Right. So. Yeah. So I I'm I'm gonna, or I have to, yeah I don't want to wait till the next time I go to Mexico. So I'm going to see if I can track some down. I, I apparently they they grow often in coastal areas, even though. It's a little bit of the exception because apparently one of the biggest places they grow in Mexico is in Mexico City. Actually, in Xochimilco is one of the largest uh, regions course. for production, um, which is I talked about it in an episode. If you uh, we went to that, we went to Xochimilco on that nice. same trip, um, and I've been there a few times. I love that place. Um, but in the actual like, not the tourist part, but the actual like farm part, mm. uh, they, they produce a lot. And I have a statistic that in 2022. The state of Mexico produced 2,042 tons of romaritos, and Mexico City itself produced 1,524 tons of romaritos. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. It's a lot of romaritos. And I, and my, <laughs> yeah, totally. And my, my understanding is that that's like the main commercial production, and mm-hmm. the rest of Mexico, it's a little bit more like you have it in your garden, or there's some smaller stuff mm-hmm. around, or you're even collecting it from the wild. But like the commercial production, particularly, uh, which, you know, I ate it around the holidays, but I think it's particularly eaten during like the Easter season, I guess, is what I understand. That's what, in Mexico City, it's produced like that. Huh. Yeah, I remember eating romaritos always during the holidays. And it's, and it, it does, that's interesting that, I mean, I never kind of like associated like, oh, it's weird that you put shrimp in this. But it's the dried <laughs> shrimp that is like now thinking about it, I'm like, that's, Strange, like why is it dried shrimp it's like you know like <laughs> it, it is like who came up with that but it's really fascinating i think it, so i think it is connected to and it's, it's uh, one thing that's super cool about it is it, it is connected to like a pre-columbian mm-hmm. uh, dish and and so i think that the, the dried shrimp and all that stuff comes from like you know pre-colonial mexico city and it's it's one of those dishes that's as is pretty similar as far as we can tell, to what was eaten like that. So I think that's where the shrimp still comes in. Because if you think about, like, you know, it's the kind of food you're eating in winter. There's not a, there's right. not a lot of stuff available. This thing, though, you could probably still find green in winter. And if you dry your shrimp and other times, you know, it's it's a, it's a it's one of those foods that it, like, probably started as a survival food. It's like, well, I don't have chicken right now or don't have whatever meat I have right now, I'll, so I can't put my mole on that. <laughs> I'll put my mole... Mole on the on the greens, so uh, so that's that's I think where the shrimp comes from. Um, it's also, and I think one of the things that's now eaten around during Lent because it, it falls within the totally. Lent rules of not eating meat. Totally, yeah. but it still has that nice meaty flavor. Yeah. Uh huh. And I and I mean, if my mom used to tell us all the time that it was like full of protein and full of like whatever. I don't know if there's facts, but I think I, I oh, have yeah I have yeah? Uh, vitamin A, vitamin C, iron, potassium, calcium, fiber, and folates. It's apparently very healthy. Yeah, so it's like my mom would be like, you, you're you going to get full of it. It's really good for you. And so we would just be like disgusted eating like plants. But Mesoamerican culture, Mesoamerican indigenous traditional foods are, are pretty like vegetarian and vegan. Mm-hmm, like pre-colonial mm-hmm. foods are pretty meatless because if we think about it, we didn't have or in, in we 
indigenous people in down in Mexico didn't have like pork or you know all of mm-hmm. that came after the colonization and so they had they were eating armadillos and crickets and mm-hmm. plants and so mm-hmm. I, it makes sense yeah there's you know it's like either you're hunting or you're you're like raising plants but yeah it, you, you know and i think in general a lot of diets are like that that are not based off of like commercial agriculture right because like mm-hmm. meat's good for you but it's hard to get it and right. and and uh and if you know it, it never it like ends up not being the dominant part of a lot of uh traditional diets some so there's exceptions to that but um, for sure but yeah so it's it's really fascinating with with that part so oh so then that comes to um this awesome word which i've talked about when i, I forget the i forget the actual spanish word for the specific plant that we call lamb's quarters in English, um, but it's that's the most common kelite. That's the word I want to bring up is kelite, mm. which which is which romeritos is a kelite. Okay. And there's another kelite. Which what's what's the most common kelite? If you were to say like kelites, what 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 would you call that? I have to look that up. What what is this? Lamb's quarters. I don't. I'm googling know. audience. I'm sorry. Let me google Kelites. it too. Kelites. Q U E. Kelite is the is this word yeah, Q U E L I T E S. Oh yeah, so huazontles is the, I think the most common thing called called kelites. Kelites is just a word that means edible greens. Uh huh. In, in, uh-huh. And and it comes from a Nahuatl word, from what I understand. Yep. Um, and so radishes um, is another. So one. you can call. Oh yeah, so I think any green that is cooked or even eaten fresh. Um, but yeah, huazontle is one that that is in English called lamb's quarters, mm. and that's another one. Also, um, I would have picked uh, one of those. We were, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we were we were calling um, we were, we were growing papalo, which is sometimes called papalo kelite as well. So I just like that word kelite because it's like it's different from just we. Just, it's basically what we would call like greens, mm-hmm. but it's it's a little bit more specific than that. It actually just means so edible. Many edible herbs yeah and i like i always like a word that is that is yeah from from the native language too which is cool when it comes into the other languages totally um when you mentioned romeritos i thought i was thinking about verdolagas i don't know if you've had verdolagas oh i don't know that one how do you spell that one <laughs> it's v-e-r d as in david o l a g a uh-huh Oh yeah, verdolagas. Oh, interesting. Mexican parsley is what it's being translated to. It does not look like parsley though. No, but no, that no. looks cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, another rabbit hole. But yeah, what? <laughs> tell me about that one. Is it? Do you eat it similarly cooked, or is it more of a herb, or how would you? No, you eat it like protein. So the way that I've eaten verdolagas, because mm. quelites. So I think quelites are typically used as as the main dish. So verdolagas mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. come sometimes within a sauce so it could be with mole it could be with bread sauce it could be and then it's this like you know you're just eating verdolagas <laughs> it's purslane it's mm. purslane is the name in english it's the 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 the, the, the leaves are a little bit like chunky kind of almost succulent yes like, right very yeah i want to try i i've this this is like one of the i had an episode about this too this is one of the most common like um it's one of the most common weeds in the world actually and, uh, it's a really, really amazing plant. Yeah, oh. um, it grows. You, you once you see it, you see it everywhere. Oh, I um, see it. I want to try eating some, but the problem is, is you can't. Um, the places where you find it growing around, you don't want to eat that. So right. I've been meaning to find some, 
bring it back to my garden, let it grow a season, and then try eating it myself. Mm-hmm. But it, it's apparently really tasty, and that's that's I have yeah. How how is it prepared in in Mexico? I've had it. I think you can make it in like different things. So sauce and like people have added i think chicken to like shredded and so it mm. it's it adds the verdolaga adds to the texture and because they're mm-hmm. like you shared the the leaves are like meaty and like a little thick it's i don't know it gives mm-hmm. like mexican food is very much about texture and so mm-hmm. i don't know if you've noticed that <laughs> when i came to the u.s and people started talking about texture and like one of my friends, for example, she was like, I don't like strawberries because of texture. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Everything is texture. <laughs> and so I didn't understand texture until mm-hmm. I came to the U.S. But verdolagas add a lot of texture to to the plate because once you, it depends on also how they cook them because sometimes, you know, they're still a little bit, I mean, they need to be fully cooked, but they have this like crunch. They're just great. Mm. I like verdolagas more than romeritos. Okay. I, I I, I'm going to keep my eye out for that. And that's one, that's one that maybe would pop up on uh, like a fancy Mexican restaurant menu here For because sure. it is grown in a small amount of commercial uh, yeah. in the United States. So yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna keep my eye out for that one and definitely order it if I see it. Um, and it's prettier. It is. And oh, <laughs> I mean, that plant, if you want to talk about the science stuff, I talked about this in the episode. I'm not going to go into too many details, but there's, there's a couple, there's three different kinds of photosynthesis and it can switch between two of them whenever it wants. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty like it, it. It uses whichever version is like um, the most the most valuable at the time, depending on. And so that's why it's so it can be like a desert plant, but it can also grow in wet areas, and and part of that has to do with that, which is pretty cool. So and cool you, when you like read about the science part, it's like pretty mind blowing. And I don't think there's many other plants that can do that switching right. between the two different kinds or the two of the different two of the three. I have one last dazzling detail about romaritos, but this goes to its European use. It's Mm. like old school, you know, uh, I think Renaissance, maybe medieval era European use. And that's one of the, it is one of many plants that in Europe was referred to as glasswort. And wort, I think, just means plant or plant that's used for something. Mm. Audience can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But the other word is glass. And that's because this plant... And is, there's a few other plants that could be used like this, but this plant was used in glass making. What? <laughs> yeah, and and so the process <laughs> is pretty interesting. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I don't know that much about glass making, but I kind of kind of gloss over it here. So when you're making glass, one thing that you need to do to make the glass easier to work, there's a there's a thing that you add to the glass called flux. From my understanding, flux is some some kind of product that you add that will lower the melting point. Mm-hmm. And so basically you like heat the glass up, you get it to melt, you add the flux and then it stays melty or longer and you can work it easier, right? Um, oh. is, is what a flux is for. And the first flux was um, was potash, which is potassium carbonate. And you get that from just burning wood and you could use the ash and you turn that ash into a powder. There's ways that you could prepare it and you add that. But that didn't make the glass, the glass wasn't as clear and so somebody discovered that if you use what is called soda ash, hmm. um, which is sodium carbonate, you can make a much clearer glass. And the way they got the soda ash is by, is by burning a plant like romeritos or some other plants that they, they grow on the coast. They're salty by nature mm-hmm. and they, um, they uh, sequester the sodium uh, in their tissue. And so when you burn them, 
they end up making the sodium carbonate. They make some potassium carbonate too, but they have a high, they have a high enough um, concentration of salt in them that they make sodium carbonate. And then, so when you turn that into the flux for glass making, you get a much like clearer glass. Apparently. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's anyway, awesome. that that's uh, that I that that was like one little rabbit hole. It's like I was like, wow, I did not uh, I know. I didn't ever think about using a plant in glass making, but yeah, totally. But it's so interesting how like humans thought about that. You know, like how did they come up with it? <laughs> it's like the edible plants. You know, like yeah, I was I was totally. I was reading about that too with like um. Yeah, I mean the use of ash is really interesting. There's lots of interesting uses of ash, and people have like realized that. And some of the first like chemistry, right? Because oh, the the pro- so my wife is a chemist, so I like mm. go down a chemistry rabbit hole sometimes. So the process to like get the sodium carbonate because you want the sodium carbonate, you don't want all the other just carbon ash stuff, right? So what they would do, and and somebody figured this out before we really knew what chemistry was. <laughs> you, know, um, right. you would mix the ash in water. Huh. And the sodium carbonate is is soluble in water, but a lot of the other stuff is not. So you'd mix it up, you'd let all the other stuff sink, then you'd pour off the water that now has dissolved sodium carbonate in it, and then you'd boil off the water and you're left with a relatively pure powder that you can use for your glass making. Interesting. But they still took the time to figure that one out, you know? Like, <laughs> like yeah. it's really cool. The, the other one... By the way, actually, for potash, um, which which you will know is uh, what's the word in Spanish? It's it's the 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 um, the non the the traditional way to um, nixtamalize corn is basically with wood cal. ash, uh-huh. and potash is that cal cal uh-huh. is potassium carbonate, I think. Yes. Anyway, it's one of those things that that basifies the water to to nixtamalize the corn. So so you could probably use soda ash too, but may, may yeah maybe different. Um, yeah, I yeah. almost chose corn. But I don't think corn's a plant. Corn is a plant. We did we did corn a corn episode very early. I'm gonna do a I'm gonna I'm gonna do a corn sequel at some point too because corn is such, I mean, a plant that is like influenced the world mm-hmm. and its history is just so fascinating and, and there's like hundreds of varieties. Yeah, yeah, and just like how it um, so rapidly kind of like took over the world and like um, the, so the the episode was pretty interesting because my friend who chose it is from Romania. Mm. And uh, you know it's not where it's from at all, but but basically corn very rapidly displaced a lot of traditional food crops, and so she was talking about it in this context of how it kind of changed Romanian cuisine. Interesting. And and then also there was like this negative side of it too, because the Europeans didn't know about nixtamalization, and if you only eat corn and you don't nixtamalize it, you can actually get sick. Yes. And so there was all this like disease in Europe because the, the Europeans didn't know. Yes. About that, and they were eating only corn right yes so it was yeah because it's such a productive plant very much and the nixtamalization of the corn is imperative because our bodies cannot process Mm -hmm. it can't yeah exactly um and you miss some some major uh chemicals so anyway um yeah i'm gonna do a corn sequel at some point because yeah it's a cool that's that's one of the there's like i'm trying not to to duplicate plants but there's a few that i have on my list are like we're gonna do a second one and corn corn is a big one so and there's a, have you heard of the um, Guerreras del Maíz, the Warriors of the Corn in Mexico? So there's, no. yeah. So for your sequel, you can talk to them. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll Google it. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that as suspense for the audience and I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll get into that. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I, I think that wraps up our discussion here about um, 
about the Monstera Adansoni or the Swiss cheese plant and Romerito. So, Pam, thank you for joining me on this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and humoring me on my rabbit holes. (laughs) Let's talk about queerness in plants. Now, as someone who does not identify as queer, I admit that I never really thought about that before until it was brought up by Pam when she was talking about the Monstera Adansoni. And some of you might think that this is not a correct way or scientific way of thinking about plants as queer. But I have to say, after doing some research, I I think it's absolutely correct. And in fact, when you look at plants and their ways of being, uh, the idea that gender is a construct becomes very clear, at least least to me. Because plants have a wide variety of ways of being, um, of different kinds of sexual and asexual reproduction. In just a few examples, plants can have male and female parts on the same flower. They can have male flowers and female flowers on the same plant. They can have male flowers on one plant and female flowers on a different plant. There's plants that can change their reproductive sex. So I could go on and on. The ways of being for plants is just uh, so broad. In fact, at the beginning of the show, when I was talking about the perfect flowers that have both male parts and female parts on the same flowers, scientifically, those flowers could also be referred to as bisexual. So it's a very uh, valid way, I think, of thinking of plants. And it helps, I think, us uh, consider how our language and the, the way we refer to things can can uh, f- change the way we think, perhaps. And on that topic, while I was doing this research, I found a very interesting short blog post by a scientist named Will Dwyer that is called Plants and Queerness. And to end the show, I would like to read uh, just a small snippet of that. Now, Will writes, Plants, like queerness, suggest new ways of being living and loving. They are bisexual, they are trans, asexual, polyamorous, hermaphrodite, and gender fluid. They are other. They are in between, alive like animals, but seemingly still as minerals. Plants are everywhere, proud and strong, and often hidden in plain sight. They make their presence known by their gifts to the world, shelter, nourishment, a breath of fresh air. Queerness can be all those things too, a home, a family, a source of sustenance. Um, I'll put a link to the entire blog post in the show notes. And uh, thanks to Will for uh, letting me read that segment. It was a very insightful piece. You can read the whole thing in the show notes. And with that, let's end the show. Thanks for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Pam Covarrubias. Pam is a coach and podcaster who hosts the podcast Café con Pam. You can learn more about that podcast at the website cafeconpalm.com or find it wherever you get your podcasts. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com slash support to find all the ways you can support the show, including leaving a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice. Rootbound is hosted by totally imperfect podcaster Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lonnie. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. But if you can go outside, look for the perfect flower, even if it's only perfect to you. Root nodules. Who doesn't love a good nodule?